This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I mean, you know, you're living in your mother's basement writing a blog on finance. Really, you should stay off the computer, son, and get a job. Seriously. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, your letters. Should Scott open up a Roth IRA? Should Doug become a European fashion model? Should Tyler become a stockbroker? Should Doug exclusively wear loincloths? How should Laura prioritize her savings goals? Should Doug become the next American Ninja Warrior? We'll tackle all of that, throw out the Haven Lifeline, tackle two headlines, and top it all off with my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are huddling around the microphone ready to record... It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. It is freezing down here in the basement. Hey there, kids. Welcome to another episode of Stacking Benjamins. I'm Joe Saul Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And here wearing his mittens is uh, Mr. OG. I'll say, don't you have a fireplace down here? Not in the basement. How long you been here now? What three weeks? Well, I mean, it's a lot bigger than the old basement. So I it is. It is a lot bigger than the old basement. How are you, man? Happy Monday. On a campfire, any kind of fire, a butane lighter, something. Do you say Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Holiday? Do you say, I don't know how you recognize a holiday like this, or you know Veterans Day, or. Yeah, you don't really say Happy Veterans yeah, Day. Yeah, right? Happy Just Veterans Day. Of, yeah. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. I, I, I don't know. Anyway. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Yes. Happy Holiday Monday. How about that? Let's go with that. There you go. We got a great- it's freezing here. One of our favorite shows because we are answering your letters today. You are the star of today's show. Me? And, well, you're the star of every show. The flipping diva. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the queen of this podcast- OG. Probably. Yes. Right. But you know how you become the queen of this podcast with $450? Head to magnifymoney.com. Ah, yes, of course. Yes. Because when you go to Magnify Money, you know what happens? You find out that those products that you use at your local bank, you know, the ones where you just walked in and said, hey, what's the best you got? Aren't the best in class. In fact, in most cases, the brick and mortar banks can't compete with online banks because of the brick and mortar costs that they have to endure. And number two, in a lot of cases, Looking at you, Bank of America, for example, you've got shareholders who are trying to make sure that they make a lot of money. I'm not saying that online banks don't have shareholders too. I'm just saying that there's a lot of extra costs that have nothing to do with you getting best in class products. So where do you find them? Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Thanks also to Grammarly for supporting Stacky Benjamins. How about that, OG? Something important for your business life is looking good in all of your communication. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com slash SB to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. We got a great show today, OG. Your letters, but first we got a couple headlines, so let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. found this interesting at Napa-Net. Napa-Net is the National Association of Plan Advisors, the place where people who manage pensions and 401ks hang out. This is written by Nevin Adams. Is debt driving your savings discussions? I thought that was a clickbaity title for 
a money nerd like uh, me or you. Seems that the headlines are full of concerns about debt, particularly college debt, and the implications for retirement savings. But are you seeing an impact and how are you responding? According to a One America survey, nearly four in 10 respondents indicated they're paying toward a student loan for themselves or on behalf of someone else. Of those, an overwhelming 85% of respondents paying towards student loans reported that their obligation to repay the funds are impacting their ability to prepare for retirement. Of that group, 38% that student loans are having a significant impact on their ability to prepare for retirement. Well, sure. If you're paying $600 a month or $800 a month on a student loan, that's uh, not going into your retirement account. How is this going to change? I mean, ultimately, we have to have this change somehow. And it seems like there has to be a better discussion around college than we currently have, which is generally in households in America anyway. Hey, you're going to college. Uh, Take out student loans. You're going to get it done. If, If you don't go to college... There's this uh, still this negative stereotype, this negative connotation where you look at a lot of these jobs, ones that, you know, Mike Rowe, for example, talks about a lot, uh, where a lot of these trade jobs, you make excellent money, have a fantastic life, and they're jobs that are in demand. Well, I think it's a combination of uh, the stigmatization of that. But I also think it's important that people recognize that it's not just you know, the four-year public university that you can get a college degree from. I quite often see that a lot of the successful college students are the ones that can do multiple things at the same time. And maybe maybe the right path for a lot of people isn't to go away to college. Maybe it is to, you know, do the year of community college while you're working full-time or more of like an apprenticeship program where you can knock out English 100 and chemistry 100 and algebra 100 and all these relatively simple courses that every university teaches the exact same way. But at the university of blah, 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 it costs $500 a credit hour. But at, you know, blah, 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 community college, it's $65 a credit hour. You know, a friend of mine did it that way. Took his first two years, all the basic courses, incredibly cheap at the local community college up in the thumb of Michigan. And then when he transferred to Michigan state his junior year, Obviously, the cost went up, but his cost of college versus a lot of people, a lot of people's was much, much lower. And he said the difficult part about those first two years, though, was that you had a lot of people whose family and they themselves are suffering from just the, the college stigma. The only reason they're in school is because of the fact that people said, hey, you got to go to college. So to make sure they did, they went to the junior college. He said there were a lot of distractions in, yeah. in community college world. A lot of people who really didn't care that much about, about school. I actually, when I went back to school, when we moved to Texarkana to become a teacher, I saw that in action. I had the highest grade point in my class and I am not Ooh. the smartest. Well, I am, you. I am not the smartest dude. I didn't study particularly well, but the class was pretty easy. And there were a bunch of people at this community college. It wasn't offered at the the local Texas A&M branch that I was enrolled in. So I had to take it at the community college. Oh my goodness. The professor, and I have no idea why, but the professor had to keep dumbing down and dumbing down and dumbing down the class. He must have had some mandate where they said you have to pass half the people or three quarters of people. By the end of the semester, we had gone to complete open book tests, <laughs> which also just as an aside, I found harder because the engineer in me, wanted to always second guess every answer that I had. So I went and looked up every answer. And where I went from finishing the test with 15 minutes to go, I was barely finishing barely finishing the test once right. it went to open book. But it was ridiculous. And I found that frustrating, especially if I wasn't somebody who at that time was, what, 42 years old going back to school. I would have found it very frustrating at 18, not knowing what I want to do with my life. And nobody around me seems to really care about this class. I did a year of regular college and then a year of community college. You know, you do the entrance thing, whatever, where you meet with the counselor and they draw your career out of a hat. And I qualified for bartender. So they're trying to dissuade me from taking microeconomics and political science. And they're like, yeah, really not up your alley. I'm like, I got this. I'm a pretty smart guy. They're like, sure. Anyways, have you tried mixology? That's probably where you should go. What was this? Uh, like one of those, what colors your parachute kind of things? Uh, I don't know what you're referencing there. I know it's a book, but, um, 
Uh, no, it's like, you know, the, the new college entrance thing where you have to, you know, you got to take all these tests and personality profiles or whatever. And yeah. then you meet with somebody and they go, oh, you're a 68. Let's see here. Uh, oh, great news. You'd be perfect for bartending. No, that's well, I'm like bartending. Yes. Would it be a accountant? That's what they mean by what color is your parachute. That's what the book is referencing is is exactly where are you heading with your life? What's, yes, what's I was heading toward mix up act, actively being pushed toward bartender, as a matter of fact, which. Uh, well, you would have got a this, discount on all those Woodfords. Oh, my goodness. That's there's somebody <laughs> high above that was looking out for me because they knew where that was headed. <laughs> But, uh, been a, the other thing that's good, I think, about the community college approach, frankly, is that a lot of them have reciprocal arrangements with the other bigger universities. Oh, good point. And you can say, hey, I really want to go to AM or I really want to go to University of Alabama or whatever. Find the community college that's linked to them and take your major Line it at all the up. University of whatever. My wife and I were just talking about this. I mean, the rising cost of school is just crazy. But I think the big piece here that you and I keep kind of circling around is you have to go into college with more of a plan. Like it can't just be, hey, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to show up for my classes or maybe not. And this will be the next four, five, six years of my life. Well, and if you're a parent, you have to help make that plan for your kids because I'm not sure that any kid knows that. I, I sure as heck didn't. Yeah, I think that that's like a lot of people. We didn't have much of that discussion either. And really not a discussion around what it was going to cost, except my parents telling me I better do something myself because they couldn't afford it. Yeah. Yeah, there was no open, honest communication with money as it relates to the college costs. And it's and, and more importantly, the impact of those decisions down the line, right? If you're going to go borrow $10,000, like what does that mean in five years from now when you're out on your own working and you've got an apartment to pay for and you know, we've talked about this topic long enough, but I actually had those discussions with my kids and it ended up not only saving us a lot of money, but I think that looking at my kids now where they are at 23, not that we did everything correctly, but in terms of this like cost benefit analysis of a college education, I think my kids were pretty well versed and did a nice job of choosing a school that, uh, that fit a, what they and we could afford and be one that matched what they were trying to, where they were trying to get to next. I think we need a lot more of that. Our second piece comes to us from Financial Planning. This is written by Jessica Matthews. With HSA changes, here's how to find the best option for clients. Financial Planning, of course, is a publication for financial planners. With the new tax law, 2019 contribution limits for HFAs have risen, and clients can now invest more in accounts that provide triple tax advantages. But are your clients in a plan that will maximize returns on their investment? It may be difficult to tell. HSA brokers aren't publicly disclosing information needed to determine which HSA plan will be most lucrative, according to a recent Morningstar report. Actually, if you go back a few weeks, we talked to Morningstar specifically about this report, but a little bit different interview. So if you want to click our link in the show notes, you can see the entire Morningstar report. It's an area where we think there's very low transparency and it's pretty hard for investors to make informed decisions early, says Leo Atchison, an associate director of multi-asset and alternative strategies for Morningstar. Still, HSA accounts are growing. Total number grew to $23.4 million at the end of June 2018, up 11.2% from the year-ago period, according to the HSA research firm Denver. Total investment of assets in the plants was close to $10 billion. These are growing quick, OG. Well... I think as more and more people figure out how to use them, they're going to grow even faster. The only thing that would be better is if we could uh, get a little bit higher contribution rates, right? Yeah. When they say contributions are higher, contributions are slightly higher. I mean, a self-only HSA contribution limit, that went up by 50 bucks. So yeah. there's... Not uh, much. Yeah, one quarter of a trip to an eye doctor. Not even that. So 3500 bucks, And then family HSA contribution limit from 6900 up to $7,000 this year. HSA is an interesting beast. The thing that scares me about HSAs, and I don't think anything bad's going to happen here, but it always worries me. Same thing that worries me about Roth IRAs, this promise of tax-free income down the road. I always feel like the government can change that. You know, if there's, if there's a bird that I can take in my hand today versus a promise tomorrow that the government has to see through on their end, <laughs> I'm a little bit, yeah. uh, I'm a little bit jaded. Well, You know, it's the same thing with the Roth. Like you said, unfortunately, we can only make plans based on the information that we have right now. So maybe do a little bit of both. Yeah. But this piece talks about transparency with HSAs. I've got to 
I've got to feel like there's going to be more because you look at how transparent now more 401ks are getting. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to read a lot of the literature that you get around your 401k at work or your 403b at work, but it's actually out there with HSAs. A lot of the disclosures aren't as easy to get to. I would think that's got to be coming in 2019, 2020. Well, that and the technology behind the plans themselves. Uh, I was actually trying to move an HSA plan from one to the other, like a rollover. And it's darn near impossible. You know, on Wednesday last week, we were talking about annuities, being able to transfer them a little bit easier, that sort of thing. We need to make these a lot easier to transfer as well. That's sad because a lot of people want to transfer that. I mean, how many times have we had people ask that question about transferring your HSA? Yeah, that sucks. And OG, before we get to our takeaways for today's headline segment, I'd like to provide one, one more a possible takeaway. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Grammarly, smart, fun, and optimistic. They encourage everybody, even the best students and top professionals, to use Grammarly to do their best work and accomplish even more of their goals. Grammarly is a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter. Start off the new year by easily improving yourself and your communication at school, at work, and almost anywhere with Grammarly. They help people show their best self through writing and are available across platforms, including online browser extensions, desktop editor, and mobile keyboard checker. You know what makes me frustrated is when I get an email from someone. I think I may have uh, brought this up on our other show, uh, Money in the Morning, about a boss of mine that I had who would never have anybody proofread his stuff. And he was a smart guy, but, oh, he spelled horribly. And sadly, it made people think less of him. And what's interesting is, is that I'm a guy who writes for a living, so I think I write pretty good. I install Grammarly myself, and you know what? It's, it's really cool because it just underlines. Like it's suggesting, you know what? You could probably do it this way. Some commas that I might want to add. I'm the opposite of the comma freak, the person who puts a comma after every third word. I tend to have these run-on sentences without any commas. Grammarly politely goes, you know, you might want to add that in. And actually, I don't have to do anything because there's this underline. And if I choose to look at it, then it's great. But if I like it the way it is, I don't even have to look. I have to say this, though, OG. The longer I use Grammarly, the more I look to see what they suggest because I end up going with it like every time. Grammarly is available on multiple browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Edge, and different platforms, iOS, Android, Windows, Mac. Their free product reviews critical spelling and grammar, and Grammarly Premium looks out for spelling. This is what I use. Looks out for spelling, grammar, plus advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness and readability for different occasions like business proposals, academic essays, casual blog posts, script writing for this year's show, whatever it might be. Accomplish your goals with help from Grammarly. Stop making email typos on your phone. Close more deals at work this year with your emails. Polish your resume to get that new job. Head to Grammarly.com slash SB and you know what's going to happen? you'll get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash SB for 20% off your Grammarly premium account. So I think our takeaways today, takeaway number one, there will be, as more and more people beat the drum, changes to HSA disclosures, especially big firms like Morningstar pushing for better disclosure. And then number two is the whole college discussion is much more than just are you going to go to college? I think there's got to be a a better plan before you even set foot in the door. Well, today you're in the driver's seat because we're taking your letters. Let's kick it off here with Scott. Scott said, uh, longtime listener, first time writer. I have an extra $200 a month after expenses and preset savings and would like your help on what to do with it. Ooh, send it to your favorite podcaster, Scott. Done. Anything Anything else we need there? I I'd think say, we, uh, I, do you need to send out the Venmo address or? Yeah, I think we, we covered it besides the Venmo address. I think we're good. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah okay. Next question. Next letter. Yeah. No. Uh, Scott says, I've narrowed it down to three areas. One, put it toward my mortgage. Two, open fund a Roth IRA. Three, open fund a 529 or an education savings account for my two kids. Not sure which one's better. 
I have a fully funded emergency fund and fully fund my 401k. What should he do, OG? Well, from the flexibility department, uh, I think the Roth gives you the most flexibility there. If you put it in the house, then the only way to get it back out is to refinance your house, which kind of defeats the purpose of paying it off. If you put it in a 529 and you want to use it for something other than college, you've got to pay a penalty and a tax bill. If you put it in the Roth, then uh, after a period of time, you can take out your contributions and you can also use a little bit of it for college and you can use a little bit of it to pay down your house in the future if that's what you want to do or can pull forward a retirement goal. So I like the Roth idea out of those three. I do too. I think this is an area though, Scott, where working from a fully developed financial plan works because once you know what these goals cost and you work backwards, then you can see how they work in tandem because I think all of these ideas dovetail one another. So without more information, I totally agree with OG that the Roth IRA is the number one idea. Putting it toward your mortgage is a very safe place. The bad news is there's no flexibility. If you ever need that money back, you got to go try to take out a loan to get your own money. And the frustrating part of that is, is that if you're in a desperate situation and you need to get that loan, there's a good chance that desperate situation could dissuade the bank from actually letting you get it. So I think that, uh, that that can be a blessing and a curse if you don't get the mortgage fully, fully paid. The 529 plan, by the way, the ESA, really not a great option once 529 rules allowed uh, for more flexibility. So the ESA is kind of, for most people, off the table now, don't you think? 529? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, 529 is the way to go there. But a Roth can fund a college. 529 can't fund retirement. Uh, Could fund education in retirement or be like an ongoing family education trust, I suppose, if you send it from family member to family member. But uh, Roth gives you you a lot of uh, flexibility there. I think with more information, though, we could probably help him make a better decision because depending on who the person is, OG, any of those three could be fantastic. Right. Yep. Next question comes to us from Tyler. Hello, I've recently been recruited by my local Edward Jones agent. He believes I have what it takes to be successful in the industry as a financial advisor. <laughs> Did I start laughing? What's, what's got to happen for me to get you into this uh, Edward Jones office today? Are you going to let... Yeah. Are you going to let your are, lack of financial planning experience... Stand prevent you from your career, <laughs> your lifelong career. As he slowly slides, as he slowly slides a piece of paper across the table toward you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. It, Tyler, just having a little fun because OG and I both have kind of been where you are. However, I'm very skeptical about starting this endeavor. Knowing your background in financial advising, what tips or advice would you have regarding this opportunity? Thank you. Um, boy, actually, you know what's funny? Even though I just made fun of it. I don't mind starting off as an Edward Jones agent. Like, I think that's a, that's a fine place to start your career. I just listened to a podcast on uh, Michael Kitz's show, Financial Advisor Success Podcast is the name of it. And he was interviewing a person who left Merrill Lynch to start their own firm. And he asked him, hey, uh, given everything you know about how great it is on the outside, would you still start at Merrill? And he said, oh, absolutely, 100%. One of the things that these sales organizations help you with is the fact that being a financial planner, especially early on in your financial planning career, is not about being a financial planner. It's about being a really good salesperson and a really good marketing person. If you're not good at those things, then you'll never be a great financial advisor because you won't have any people to advise, if that makes sense. It doesn't matter, so, it doesn't matter what the career is. Learning to be a rainmaker, as they call it, pays huge dividends. A because well, that's true. A yeah. because so few people can do it. But you know what? What you know what's funny? I don't think it's as tough as people think it is. It just is a pathway with a lot of resistance. And you have to learn a lot of subtlety about how you quote sell. Even if you're a fee-only financial advisor that isn't quote selling products, you have to sell people on reaching their goals. And the amount yeah. of stupid behavioral stuff people want to do is amazing. I mean, and and people who listen to the show are not dumb, but there are people who write us letters all the time saying, and this is the most popular one, do you think I should do something 
that is totally against what my long-term goal is because of the short-term situation. I mean, how many variants of that note have we had? Right. Five bajillion. And getting people around that and through it and being a good coach means developing selling skills. And Edward Jones is going to teach you phenomenal selling skills. I think they also do a pretty good job of helping you run a business. You know, they give you a little territory area, put you up in an office and give you an an assistant so you can just work on the selling component of it, which is great and kind of turn you loose. The, The downside of any of these programs is that you're beholden to that organization, whether it's Edward Jones or Merrill or or any other broker relationship. So you're going to have certain company criteria that you're going to have to adhere to in order to, you know, get your paycheck. So you have to be okay with that. And a lot of times it's no big deal and sometimes it is a big deal, but that's the dance with the devil, so to speak. You just have to you just have to be okay with that sort of thing. But the biggest advice I think when it comes to, you know, starting as a uh, financial professional in any way, shape, or form is that it's not at all about being a financial professional. It's not about reading the Wall Street Journal or, you know, how fast can you get your CFP done or do you have an MBA or any of that sort of stuff. It has nothing to do with that. It's how many times can somebody slam a door in your face, figuratively or literally, and you just go on to the next door. Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep that big picture in mind. Oh, it's so it's so tough. I mean, it still is now. I mean, I was just telling you about a, a potential client that I talked to, I don't know, October or something, maybe. I thought it was a good call. And I'm still disappointed. I didn't, you know, I didn't get to work with him and his family, you know, and it's and now that disappointment lasts a lot less. You know, it's only been four months, so it doesn't last a full 12 months like it uh, (laughs) used to. (laughs) But seriously, you know, and people tell you they don't need you anymore or something like that, you know, kind of stings a little bit regardless. But to have that happen a hundred times in a row and then to go, well, that's like, got to get up and make the donuts today. You know, it takes some really, really, really strong uh, emotional competence skills early on and, and and probably for the better part of, would you say maybe the first three to five years? Yes. And for me, the first year was difficult, but once I got over the hump of, I have to have a commitment to the process. I have to wake up every day and do this thing I hate to do every day. I was pretty good at that. I was pretty good at waking up and making a ton of phone calls and getting rejected over and over and over just because I learned to be committed to the process of trying to be successful. And I was successful. My problem was, like a lot of advisors, in year number two, once I became fairly successful, I stopped doing all the crap that made me successful because I hated right. doing it. And then my commitment to the process went away and I starved for a while. And then I realized that it wasn't Joe's genius. It was the process that was the key. And then I got back on and, and started uh, redoing those things that had been painful in the first place, but that made you successful. Good luck. Yeah, Edward Jones is as fine as any place, as long as you know what you want, Tyler, out of your career beyond that. I know people that came to Ameriprise when I was there. They came there because they had an excellent training division. And I had friends that told me when we go out to lunch that they had no intention of staying there for a long period of time. They wanted to be there for two years maximum. It was signing up for like an internship. I felt like two years in this mm-hmm. training program, learn everything they can teach me about systems and process, and then jettison to a much better, much better pasture in their eyes, whatever it was that they really wanted to do. So good stuff. Next up is a question from Laura, but actually before we get to the question from Laura, I think it's time to refill our glasses and uh, let's get some of Doug's amazingly delightful trivia. Like how I butter him up was he was he coming down the stairs? Your mom. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And today we're remembering John Bogle, the creator of the Index Fund, who passed away late last week. According to Warren Buffett, a lot of Wall Street is devoted to charging a lot for nothing. He charged nothing to accomplish a huge amount. Here's a trivia question that we'll offer for a price Mr. Bogle would have liked. Free! What is the largest index fund in the world based on the amount of money it manages? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. 
Well, Stacky Benjamins for the longest time has had a partnership with Magnify Money, and we're so happy to talk about Magnify Money all the time. And if you haven't yet used our link, you should try it, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And I'm going to do it today because in our basement Facebook group, we were talking about savings account rates. And I realized just recently that we have not talked about savings account rates here in a little while. And we, for a while there, we're rolling on it. But let's take a look at what's happened. Holy cow, is it different. The last time we did savings rates, OG, was maybe, what, three months ago? Listen to this. It depends on what zip code you're in and what account balance you're doing. So I used the zip code they just provided and account balance, it defaulted to 11,000. I have no idea why that is. But listen to this. Primary savings for a Mountain America credit union, 3.69%. Minimum deposit is $100. However, they get a fine print score. And this is what I like about Magnify Money. They give it an F. They say it's way too complex. So you can get 2.6 in the secondary savings for Mountain America Credit Union. That gets an A. You can start with a penny and it's 2.6. It's pretty amazing. Then CIT Bank is next at 2.45. My Savings Direct at 2.4. CIBC is at 2.39. Poplar Direct at 2.36. Citizens Access 2.35. Uh, Pure Point Financial 2.35. And once again, for each of these, it shows the minimum deposit that you need. It gives a grade for the fine print so you can easily compare, ditch, switch, and save. And that's not all Magnify Money does. Of course, they also compare debt reduction products like personal loan, student loan refinance, parent plus loan refinance. If you have to take out an auto loan, small business loans, debt consolidation, that type of thing, you can compare credit cards there, CD rates, checking accounts. It's all there. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money gets you there. That's our link and tells them like mom says that we sent you check it out today. Hey there, trivia fans. Today, we thought it'd be a great way to remember John Bogle by talking about one of his favorite topics, the index fund. On today's trivia segment, here was the question. What is the largest index fund in the world according to the amount of money it manages? The answer? According to MarketWatch, the largest fund was Mr. Bogle's prize, the Vanguard 500 Index Fund, which trades under the ticker symbol VFIAX. The Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, ticker symbol VTSAX, is the second largest, followed by the Fidelity 500 Index, ticker symbol FXAIX, and then iShares' largest offering, IVV, their S&P 500 fund. Thank you, Mr. Bogle, for everything you did for investors everywhere. Hey, OG, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Door-to-door sales calls? Yep, that and uh, good HSA disclosures. Right. <laughs> your family and your time. But I'll take that as number three and four. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Application simple and online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. Policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, who has been around more than 160 years. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Bam. Talked about that in our headlines last week. Today, we're going to throw out Haven Lifeline to... John. Say hi, John. Hi, Joe. Uh, I've got a quick question for you. It's the end of the year and my Jelly of the Month Club membership came in from my company. So I'm sitting on a sizable number of jellies for my portfolio and have the debate about dollar cost averaging in over the year or taking that lump sum now and dropping it into the market. I know you probably think that it's better to dollar cost average while OG would say lump sum today. But a little bit of the market volatility has really caused me to slow the drop it all in today. i uh, love to get your input. Enjoy the show. Thanks. Awesome. And I love surprising listeners with my reply. Let's see if we respond the way that John thinks that we would. OG, what do you think? Dollar cost average that uh, jelly of the month money in? Uh, I don't think it really matters, to be honest with you. I like the idea of thinking about it from the opposite ends of the spectrum. So let's think of it this way. 
let's say it's $50,000 and you invest your $50,000 today in one lump sum. And in six weeks from now, it's worth 45,000 because, you know, volatility, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. Does that make you more upset than if you put $5,000 a month in and in six weeks from now, the stock market is up 10%. So you've missed out on the $5,000 gain. I would say that most people would be more upset by the potential loss or decline, I guess, than by missing out on the upside. And so if that's the case, and if you're like most people, then I say, why not put a little bit in now and then sure, let's dollar cost average it in, but not over the next year. That's ridiculous. Let's dollar cost average it, you know, twice a week over the next five weeks or or every Friday over the next 10 weeks or something like that. Break it down into a pretty small time period, but a substantial investment amount relative to the total. I wouldn't want to spread this out over the next 12 months. But if you said, yeah, I'd feel better if it, you know, if I dropped it in over the next uh, 12 weeks. Okay, fine. Market volatility, actually, John, you said it makes you slow down. It makes me want to speed up. When I see market volatility and uncertainty, those are the times where historically you've profited by getting into the market. I love a piece that I read uh, over the weekend, which where a professional said, no, you should try to catch a falling knife. You know how they say, don't try to catch a falling knife. The guy's like, no, you totally should. You won't. You won't catch the falling knife. And over the short term, you might get a little hurt, but that's when you profit the most. And so I think this idea about don't try to catch a falling knife. I agree with the guy. It's horrible. Jump in. Volatility is your buddy when you're investing. Volatility is not your friend if you have money in the wrong place when you're trying to take it out. That's the key. The key is avoiding volatility when you're taking it out and trying to up your game when the market's volatile as you're investing. I think it's kind of funny too, because what if John would have got the bonus on September 15th? Right, oh, market's doing really good. All time high. Totally. Hey, let's get the money in. Totally probably would have socked it in right then. Oh my gosh. Let's dump it in, baby. Yeah. I got my 50 grand. Let's throw it in or whatever the number is. Right. Meanwhile, today it's at the same price, depending on when you're listening, as it was at the beginning of, let's say 2018 from a discount standpoint, year over year. If you got to go back in time, wouldn't you want to get it all invested so you could get that year run up? You know, I don't know, but it's just, it's time and, you know, recent relevant stuff plays tricks in our minds and and, big time. And, and, but let's say that you're listening and you did that, you put it in, in September and now you're like, oh my God, I made the wrong decision. I shouldn't have done that. No, you should have done that. Cause if you look at 15 years from now, historically in almost every time, historically in the United States stock market anyway, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered. Putting it in September, when you go to take the money out, generally speaking, historically, it's been phenomenal. So I saw this on Twitter the other day. I thought it was really good. Stop trying to get the lowest price and be okay with a low price relative to the time frame. And that's kind of what you're saying. You know, you're you just stop trying to figure out whether tomorrow's gonna be, you know, a tick lower than it is today, or yesterday is a tick lower than it was tomorrow. Forget that. Just recognize that today is still low relative to where it's going to be in 20 years from now when you need the money. Thanks for the question, John. If you've got a question, John's taking home the Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt. Nobody who wrote us letters is getting one of those. He gets one because he called the Haven Lifeline. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash voicemail gets you there. And thanks to John for a question that I think is on a lot of people's mind right now. So good stuff. Let's move back to the mailbag. Next question, a little longer, comes to us from Laura. Laura says, my question might be basic, but I'm wondering how you prioritize your first step type goals. My husband and I are paying off two loans, $17,000 car loan and $17,000 student loan, and we have a less than optimal balance in our emergency fund. There's another guy that some people listen to that says to drop the emergency fund to $1,000 until all debt's paid off, which is about what we have right now. My husband's a realtor while my job is steady and secure, so we've set our budget based on my salary now. Everything he makes right now goes 
go start paying his expenses and then paying off debt. As you can imagine, the tiny emergency fund does not give me warm fuzzies. I have long-term disability, short-term disability, and life insurance, and I'm contributing to a Roth 401k. I'd love to be done with the debt once and for all, but I guess I'm not too upset about it. The rates are low and the total balance is less than a third of my annual income. Would you redirect his commissions to the emergency fund right now or keep throwing it at all the loans? Clearly, I don't do what other financial podcasts recommend, so I probably won't listen to you guys either. Just trying to give you some show material to keep Doug off the mic. Great call. Nice, nice call, Laura. Good question there. So continue. She's she's really nervous about the uh, small emergency fund that the guy from Tennessee talks about. How funny is it, though, that... She's concerned about the small emergency fund, but not concerned about the anchor that's causing the boat to sink anyway, you know, which is the $34,000 of debt. And what do you need an emergency fund anyway for? Well, you need it to pay your bills in case something happens. Well, isn't one of your major bills the fact that you have this freaking $34,000? That's my best Dave impression by saying freaking. Dave from Tennessee impression. Yeah. You get this freaking $34,000 of debt. Here's the real answer, Laura. Do whatever makes you happy. If what makes you happy is having five grand in an emergency fund instead of a thousand, then yeah, okay, get 5,000. If you're making a hundred grand a year and your husband is a tolerably decent real estate person, he better be making 30 grand a year in real estate commissions. You know, I mean, that's selling like what, a million dollars worth of houses? Seems doable. I don't know anything about real estate, but seems like you should be able to do to make 30 grand selling real estate. So you're talking about something that maybe is like a year out in the making anyway. So if you're saying, Hey, this might take me a year or it might take me a year and two months. Okay, fine. To make it take a year and two months, but don't let the cash reserve thing be this line in the sand that keeps on moving. You know, if you're not happy with a thousand, you say, okay, once we get to five, then we'll really focus on the debt. Okay, cool. But don't get to five and then go, you know, what really makes me happy 10. You know, what really makes me happy 20. You know, what really makes me happy 40. Because that's BS. That's what I was thinking. There's a not to complicate it, but there also is a middle ground. A lot of people, studies have shown that people gamify their financial picture and, and win big, turn it into a game. If I pay that car loan or student loan, whichever one's at the, higher rate or, you know, if they're both at low rates, go with the one that's the biggest cash flow cruncher first, right? right. So free yeah. up as much cash flow as possible. So if that's the case, let's say it's the car loan that's swallowing the most cash flow. I get that down to 15, then I will make my cash reserve 1500 will be my next goal. Then when I get it down to 10, then I will make it $2,000 for my cash reserve. So if the cash reserve is what motivates you, put the car loan between you and that goal. And I've seen that work before. You know what? I can do this thing that makes me happy, but I can only do it once I get the medicine down. And maybe that works. The competing priorities thing when it comes to financial goals is one of the things that gets a lot of people stuck. You just have to make a decision about it and put it down on paper. You can't just have it floating around in your mind. You have to say, okay, we're going to direct 50% of my husband's after-tax, after-expense commission income to this car loan this year. And every time you get paid, you go, okay, but this commission, and then we had these expenses, and then we have to pay these taxes. The net is $2,200. Boom, $1,100 goes. Or whatever your number is, whatever, however you decide. But you have to put it in writing first. There's something about writing it down that anchors it in your mind. So do that. Great question. Do it. Th- do it. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Laura. Our next question, I think this, unfortunately, is going to be our last question today. It comes to us from Sarah. Sarah says, hi, guys. Just to let you know, like everyone else, I've never learned a thing from listening to the show. Thank this you. This is the year, though. This sure. This could be. But for some strange reason, I still listen to every podcast. Now for the question. My future son-in-law asked me a really good question this weekend, but I couldn't answer it for him. What do you think the question is? It was about how much his inheritance was. (laughs) (laughs) I think you need to meet with an estate planning attorney. He says, so exactly how do you like your grilled mushrooms? Exactly. (laughs) Right. You don't think that's it? My future. So many questions, uh, future son-in-law could ask you reminds me of this party game things 
You know, yeah. there could be a card OG that says things. There you is. Should, is things is there, you should never tell your mother-in-law. <laughs> things you should yeah. never ask your mother-in-law. Right. Yep. Yeah, that would be good. But let's see what uh, Sarah's question is. He's 23 years old and a mechanical engineer. He has $20,000 in student loans, a truck payment, land payment to build their future house. He's contributing $6,000 to his 401k, 10% with company match. And he's on his parents' health insurance. He wants to know if he should pick up health insurance at his company at no cost to him so he can start contributing to the HSA. I think he doesn't need to right now, and he should save his money to build the house and or pay off his student loans. What are your thoughts? Thanks, guys. Please tell mom I said hi. Thank you, Sarah. And we we will. Mom likes hearing from listeners. What do you think? Oh, I would totally stay on the parents' plan. I would do it as long as possible. Totally agree. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not my kids. My kids are getting off the first second they get a chance. But, but this kid absolutely should stay on somebody else's plan, not in my backyard. So it depends on whose side you're on, Sarah. Yeah, exactly. If you're on his parents' side, <laughs> tell him to stop immediately. But if you're on his team... Hey, if parents are happy doing it, then I agree. Save up for that house. That house yeah, down- he has, he has, has much more shorter term priorities like paying off his debt and building a reasonable cash reserve and building the cash flow necessary to to build the house than think about a high deductible healthcare savings plan for 42 years from now. Yeah, I totally agree. And that house down payment is just going to be it's going to be so expensive. And if that is a priority for them and that's what they really, really want, I mean, obviously financial planning is all about going after what you really want. I agree, Sarah. Go for the house. Thanks for the questions, everybody. What a fun episode, OG. These are always my favorite, of course. It is absolutely great. And by the way, we are about to announce uh, where we're going to be heading out again around the country fairly soon. I'll say two things. Unfortunately, we're not going to do live shows this year. Just do not have the, you know, that takes uh, a lot of money to do that. We found out last year. Takes a lot of time, too. Takes a lot of time, a lot of preparation. But we still want to make sure we come around the country and uh, say hi to as many people as possible. By the way, not, not because... We think it might be cool for you to meet us, but it is so flipping cool to not be here in the basement and to actually see people. That's, that just fires me up. So we'll be announcing that fairly shortly where we're headed to next. Well, we don't have the places yet, but we can say kind of generically where we're, right? Sure. Can we, can we, say, can we say West Coast? Yes. Yes. West. In uh, like a month, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, it depends. We have to set the actual date and we got to do that very soon because plane tickets are going to start going up. But in about a month, we are- oh, we get to fly. We don't have to drive. <laughs> we are. We're not taking the broken I down van. I thought you'd take the Saturn view and you'd meet me and, <laughs> you know, we'd meet in like uh, I-70 somewhere in I'm like gonna, Wichita. I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the guy that sold it to me like 50 times. It's a $5,000 car. <laughs> We're not so taking not that a, car. It's not a road. It's not a road tripper. You're not taking that. I mean, unless you want to meet every mechanic between here and and <laughs> the West Coast. No, no, we're not taking that car. So, uh, great stuff. Yeah, West Coast. We're coming to see you, and then um, we are going to be doing the coasts this year. Uh, this will be the coast, middle of the country. We're hitting you next time, uh, and we actually did with Detroit and Kansas City last year. Hit a couple of the. Yeah, we'll of be the, in the Midwest. We've we've got a four. A four quadrant plan. Yes. Did I not tell you any of this? No. I have it all planned out. Okay. I have it all planned out. It's yeah. great. I am yeah. always. I'll the tell one. you. I'll, t- I'll tell you where to be and when to be there. I'm the last one to know everything okay. about this podcast. Oh yeah, because I'm. I'm definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely the one who puts all the <laughs> podcast meetup things together. Yeah, I'll be with everybody up in Seattle. Like Seattle. When are we going to Seattle? Oh, you're not going to Seattle. I'm going to Seattle. I thought that was fun that I got to say that for once. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> How's that feel? It, it felt really good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, more to come on that. Uh, that'll come to the stacker first, by the way, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. We'll tell people there. And then uh, obviously we'll announce it on the show because we'd love to meet you if you're in the areas where we're headed. Also, by the way, if you're headed to better financial planning in 2019 like that, huh? And you're putting your team together and you want to interview OG and his team about being part of your team, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG for more about OG's uh, 
practice and uh, getting on his calendar to talk about joining forces like the super friends. Imagine having the super friends in your back pocket there. Aquaman. I saw that movie. You can see what he can do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very pretty movie. Can't make a phenomenal movie, but he's very strong (laughs) and quite handsome. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All his tattoos. He has lots of, lots of tattoos. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So, what did you learn today? Probably nothing, but let me take a stab at it. First, when it comes to choosing financial shelters, start with your goal and find the shelter that fits best. An IRA, for example, is a horrible idea for some investment timeframes and perfect for others. Second, is debt driving your investing decisions? Minimize your interest rates and get invested. You need your money to work for you if you intend to have enough to reach your big, audacious future goals. But the big lesson? Eh, usually we like to mess around right here, but today let's just say this. John Bogle, we're all going to miss you. Special thanks to you for writing in today. Want the guys to answer your money questions? Call the Haven Lifeline at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. It's an easy way to leave a message and you'll then get to take part in the greatest money show on earth, this circus right here. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. We have a backlog of movies. It's been a long time since we've had a backlog of movies, OG. I can't believe we've got like 20 movies to talk about. And I'm going to keep adding to it if I have anything to do about it. No, that's fantastic. And me too. Oh my goodness. I went to see a movie at a great movie theater yesterday. I have to tell you, being able to choose between 16 movie theaters. A little different than uh, Cinemark and Texarkana. The bad news for people that enjoyed my complaining about the Cinemark, you're not going to get that anymore. That's the horrible thing. So basically, all the movies that come out are actually going to be able for you to be seen. I'm going to get to see those. Yes. And for those of you in little town America, I feel your pain. I totally feel your pain, but no longer. But I did see this one in Texarkana. And I also have to say that because we gave a bunch of money to a mouse to take these wonderful Adventures by Disney trips, we scored two free tickets to this movie, a.k.a. we paid through the nose for them by going on this, these expensive vacations. But two free tickets to this film, Mary Poppins Returned. I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. Don't you remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. Those days are long behind me. As I live and breathe, 
came back. You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. So Mary Poppins comes back out of the clouds, OG. You've, of course, seen the original Mary Poppins. Long time ago. Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke, lots of songs, Spoonful of Sugar. And the, the great thing about the original Mary Poppins is that the music really makes the movie. And it's those songs that you keep humming that make it really fun to watch. And uh, this movie, there's fine acting. The story is incredibly predictable, which for a movie that's going to be a sequel to a musical, you know, I mean, musicals have generally fairly predictable plots. Last year, a movie whose soundtrack I could not stop playing over and over and over, the movie about P.T. Barnum, The Greatest Showman. Greatest Showman, yeah. Fantastic soundtrack, pretty predictable storyline. Didn't bother me because I was humming that music all day. A couple of years ago, La La Land, right? Another soundtrack I really liked that I played over and over and over. Like that. I mean, you go to Broadway, OG, and you've seen musicals and uh, Wicked and other musicals where you like the, you know, the soundtrack keeps you going. People love Hamilton, not because, I mean, the story is neat and the way they tell the story is is fascinating, but the music kind of drives it. I'll let you know. I've got tickets in a couple of months. Ah, cool. Well, here's the thing about Mary Poppins Returns. The new songs are not very great. They're okay, but there's nothing. I didn't leave humming any of the new songs. I didn't leave uh, thinking they were that, that there was anything I wanted to go play the soundtrack once I got home on Spotify. So Emily Blunt is Mary Poppins. She's fine. Lin-Manuel Miranda as Jack. He's the new chimney sweep character for Dick Van Dyke. He's fine. Ben Whitshaw and Emily Mortimer as the Banks kids now grown up and now having their own problems. They're good. People playing the kids. Yeah, everybody's okay. Just no great music with no really big moment. And, um, and so I thought it was okay. What was, what was sad here is that um, when Dick Van Dyke makes a cameo at the end of the movie, at the very end of the movie, all of a sudden, dude, it picks up like where there was no real energy before in the movie. Everybody's just okay. The show's just okay. Dick Van Dyke shows up and bam, I don't know like what happened, but all of a sudden I'm awake. I'm laughing. I'm like, Oh my God, if we could have Dick Van Dyke show up at the beginning of this movie and be that guy, like, I don't know what it was about the spark that he put in the film. It's also the same for Angela Lansbury. Right after that, Angela Lansbury makes a makes a cameo. And again, high energy, excitement in the film, good stuff. Really, I don't know. Thumb kind, kind of, of a letdown, it sounds like. Thumb kind of down for Mary Poppins Returns. There is nothing, but there's nothing bad about it. There just isn't anything good about it. It's it's that movie that, you know, if there's nothing else showing, okay, yeah. And you're not gonna be unhappy. We left going. It was better than Aquaman, but uh, still not great. Okay. Well, maybe I'll, I'll have a savior film on Wednesday. How's that? We shall see. Because you saw the new movie with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. The Upside. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about that. And then we'll also, we also have to talk about a couple films that are up for, uh, that were up for Golden Globes and Critics' Choice Awards. And we'll probably, by the time this com- comes out, I think we'll know who the nominees are for the Oscars. I went and saw The Favorite and I also saw uh, The Green Book. So we'll talk about those. We have a backlog. All right. See you next time. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees 
are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.